I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive, and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. And I'm Damask Cleary. And today we'll be discussing The Legend of Korra, book three, Change. Change, change, change. Isn't it change? It is, but I changed it. Uh, Hello, Damask. We had a week off. It's a lie when we say we did this each and every week. We missed a week. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry that I was off living my life. Yeah, this is Damask's fault. It's always Damask's fault. <sighs> Got Sorry. an email we're meant to send to you? Damask's fault. Didn't get to <laughs> Emily. Uh, all right, all right. I don't need to know how useless I am. <laughs> Far out. Uh, we how, just started the podcast. How have you been? Look, <laughs> clearly not well. Um, no, just very busy. I've come back from Queensland. Went up there to for my dad's 60th birthday. That's the nice. northern eastern part of uh, Yeah, It's in the Australia. north, but it's like Australia's Florida. Yes. Um, and Slash our like, Bible Belt. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's our most conservative state. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is nice, and my, all my family met the girlfriend for the first time, which is oh, cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's cool. So that went well. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, what about exciting you? stuff. What have you been doing? I was stuck here. Uh, I don't know. What have I been doing? Working a lot. Long weekend. My dad's seventieth. That was nice. Mm. Oh, our uh, dad's went out for both dinner. had birthdays this week. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. Your birthday's coming up pretty soon. Yes, it is. We're having a TV themed party. Of course, I. <laughs> Actually, I spent over a hundred bucks at Officeworks today, just buying a, like a bunch of props for it and stuff, or stuff that I'm going to turn into props. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. So I've pretty, heard some of the ideas, and I'm excited. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> Andy, I still need to get organised my. I'm going to have a couple of craft days next week, just to get everything ready. So good yeah. thinking. In the meantime, we should get to a podcast. Off topic, hot topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. Off topic, hot topic is our news and views segment where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you'd like to contribute a topic or story to Off Topic, Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. News in fuller. Uh, there's nothing really involving Brian Fuller that I've come across, but I thought it was worth noting that mm. the la- one of the last shows that he was showrunner on, the one he got kicked off Which most one? recently, American Gods season, American Gods. So I wasn't sure if it was that or Star Trek. Discovery. I think American Gods was was the one that was the most recent one. Right. Uh, he actually got to make a season of that, so you know, mm, as opposed to uh, Star Trek. Um, yeah, season two has started. It uh, first episode, of season two is released. Mm-hmm. Fair to say. Not glowing reviews. 
I'm not shocked. <sighs> I'm a little disappointed by that. Yeah. Like, I understand it was turbulent production mm-hmm. with, you know, showrunners changing and apparently problems with the final episode and whatever. But, man, it found something in season one. It mm. got to a point where I was interested, yeah. so I'd be really disappointed if it was no good. Yeah. Um, I've just realized that people who have just started listening to us, or I don't know, I don't know how long it's been, but they will have no idea why we do news in Fuller. Oh, because Brian Fuller is a funny, <laughs> it's a joke. It's a funny joke. Okay, I just wasn't sure. They're like, who is this Fuller person that they're talking about? Brian Fuller. News in Brian Fuller. <laughs> you get it now, audience? <laughs> I'm not pandering, all right? Okay, fine. Don't talk down to the audience. I get it. it. I'm sorry. Thank you. Mm. Uh, a few headlines to get things started with. First and foremost, R.I.P. Luke Perry, star yeah. of Beverly Hills 90210 and Riverdale. Very um, sad. Very sad news. Mm. V- far too young. He was Way like... Way too young. Yeah, really 50s. shocking. Yeah. yeah. That one. Mm. Really, really sad. Um, on a happier note, uh, the Buffy musical episode, Once More With Feeling, the cast recording is going to be released on vinyl oh, for people good. who have record players still. Excellent. When's the tape deck coming out? <laughs> okay. <laughs> to show how much we know about uh, music. I don't own a record player, so I don't care about that. But My brother does. I'm Maybe sure it's I'll... nice having a collection, just... I guess. That would, it would be nice. The vinyl and like the... I do like the, the cover, artwork. The artwork yeah. and stuff would be cool. Um, Sharp Objects showrunner hints at possible season two. Please don't. Yeah. I don't want to watch that. Like very few details here. And um, I love the first season, Oxen but I, I don't need to... Felt watch. like a complete story, right? Yeah. I'm not sure I need a season two I of must that. have known it was Marty Knox and when we talked about it. Yeah, right? you yeah. did. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, maybe just make something else. Yeah, I think so. Uh, on the That Was a Complete Season doesn't need a uh, sequel season, mm. The End of the Fucking World Season 2 is officially in production. Uh, that was such a good season. And if you're out there, go watch it. That show was amazing. But... Second season, no. We'll see. That one at least, like, I mean, yes, it was based on a graphic novel. I feel like they, there is a place to go with that maybe. I'll be interested to see what they do. I I'm think, skeptical. like, the ending was so good because we don't have all the answers and that's okay. Yes. And then if you it go and then give me all the answers, I'm yeah. just like, Ugh. Yeah. Mm, ruins, it takes away the magic a little bit. Sure. Uh, Taika YTT is adapting Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits for Apple streaming service. Don't know anything about it, but I like him. I like Taika Waititi. It's that's the f- probably the first big get of the Apple streaming service. I'm like, yeah, I'm interested to mm. watch that um, and see what that is. He's um. What I we can't do the afford show. one more streaming service. I just can't do it. Yeah, no. Actually, no, I can. It's going to be the Disney one. It's not going to be the Apple. Disney one for sure. Mm. Faux show. Sure. But that's going to save you money. Please for... don't ever say faux show again. Faux show. It's going to save you money for all the Disney DVDs you never have to buy again. Exactly. You know? Um, Game of Thrones Season 8 had its mm. first trailer. Did you see that? I did. What'd Wait, you... no. No, I didn't. You didn't. Stop recording. <laughs> Damask has now watched the Game of Thrones Season 8 trailer. What would you think? I've got a fear. What's the fear? Cersei's my favourite character. Mm. I love her. Mm-hmm. I, if the entire season was just her drinking wine, I'd be really happy. Uh-huh. But I think they're going to kill her and then make way for the big battle at the end. And it makes me really sad. I think it's the opposite. I think it's the exact opposite. And that trailer implies the opposite. Which is that? What's why I love the implication? Well, now I'm very excited. Tell me more. The implication I love there, right, Mm. is you got all these scenes building of like getting ready for the battle against the what, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, and then she smirks. And what's she doing? Sitting by herself, 
drinking wine because she's not involved. She's just <laughs> sitting back and letting other people do the work. And that I love. I personally think it's more mm. likely that what's... I, I hope it happens this way. Is that earlier, sooner than later, we mm. deal with the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. There's like devastation, like things are not great afterwards. And then we have to deal with the Cersei problem because oh, I hope she really... Wins. That is so much more interesting to me than the White Walkers. Oh, absolutely! Are. I think everyone probably agrees with that. Yeah, right. I, I, I don't know. I. That's what's gotten us this far. The battles, like that's that's the bit that worries me. Is like that's all a build up to big battle, and it's like, mm. eh, yes, that's impressive stuff you're doing. Yes, some of my favorite episodes of battles, but I don't not want this show to this season just be mm. big battles. And also, like the reason we care so much about the battles is because. Before that, all the episodes leading up is they're just raising the stakes by mm-hmm. allowing us to become more and more attached to these people by building character and story. Mm-hmm. And then the battle happens. You're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And that's why those episodes are so amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if it's just a season of battles, that'll be disappointing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. But, no, I think it's the opposite. I think so. It's just I sitting there so. letting those dickheads, you uh, know, fight. Good on her. And then she can just continue to rule. I really would love it if at the end... Cersei, Cersei just wins. Was just, just wins. <laughs> I kinda, it would be a bold move It'd if the smartest so thing she did was... Like, she was finally did something smart and just didn't participate <laughs> and won by default. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'd I love w- it. I would love that. Big fan. There was another big trailer that came out this week. Uh, the Aladdin... The first real official trailer. We had the teaser mm-hmm. and we had that weird Super Bowl thing or whatever it was where we first saw Blue Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And then we've got this Aladdin... Big reveal trailer or big sort of, um, yeah, sort of first big trailer. What did you think? Uh, certainly better than what I'd seen previously. A million yeah, times. Yeah, a million times better. And I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of see Will Smith as the genie now. That's cool. I just have one problem. Mm. Well, I've got a couple. Mm. But <laughs> the main thing is I find this version of Aladdin as in the character Aladdin so entirely uncharismatic and charming mm-hmm. that I don't want to watch a movie about him. Yeah. He seems incredibly dull. Yeah. Like just like a cardboard cutout with Will Smith screaming in his face. Like that's that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, the Will Smith, there's a bit in the trailer where he um, like he does a bit it's like now make me a prince is a really vague wish. And he's like, I can just go make you a prince. And it's like, I see how they're going to do what they did with yeah, with uh, Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. Mm. Like that whole like having... Pop culture here and there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I can see working now. That's mm-hmm. cool. Even the rap, Never Had a Friend Like Me. I'm sort of like, okay, I can see that being a fun spin mm. on that. A Whole New World sounds good to me. That's like, yeah, I, I don't it mess with that exactly too much. It exactly the same to me. Pretty much, which yeah. is like, honestly, fine. What you need, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic song. Yeah. Don't mess with that song too sing much. sing it? A Whole New World. But yeah, it's Jafar and Aladdin and Jasmine that really don't... None of, the, none of that's selling it to Mm-mm. me at the moment. No. I just... More and more, I'm wondering why this exists. The Jungle Book made more sense to me because the Jungle Book was kind of a weird movie mm-hmm. and problematic in its storytelling already and to yeah. do a revised version of that made sense mm-hmm. uh, I don't the Beauty and the Beast one should not exist this Aladdin one doesn't actually exist now mm-hmm. I'm worried the Lion King one shouldn't exist it's just yeah I kind of wish they'd go pointless. back and yeah make the kind of weird obscure ones and make them into really cool movies I can see like why that would be like, a thing to do what about Dumbo like are you people are seeing Dumbo now and saying it's pretty good 
Oh, that's cool. Um, I just I don't. I have no faith in Tim Burton's abilities to make agreed. a good film. So agreed. I'll wait till you go see it, and I, then you'll tell me it's good, to. and then I'll eventually um, watch it on some sort of streaming service. They all feel sort of samey to some degree in their like like live action version of a cartoon. They all look thing. the same. They do, don't they? Yeah. There's something about the way they look that looks the same. That I was talking to my brother about this, and like he was saying, I'm ready to see Aladdin in cinemas. I was like, I think I'm gonna wait till it's on mm. Stan mm-hmm. or like streaming. Yeah. I don't think unless it reviews ridiculously yeah, well. Like, oh my gosh, this is like incredible. the Jungle Book. Yeah, right. I don't think I'm rushing out to see it at the cinemas. Mm. I'm just not interested. People say that about Marvel films too, but that's a different story. Well, they're losers. <laughs> uh, what do you have for off topic? Hot topic to mask. Um. So I've been watching Dirty John. I finished it this morning, actually. Mm-hmm. Now I listened to the podcast when it came out. So what? What is Dirty John? So Dirty John is a Netflix series, unlimited series, and it was. It's based on a podcast that came out a little while ago. I mm-hmm. think done by the LA Times. I want to say mm-hmm. they did it. Um, it's a fascinating story about a woman who you know has. A few adult children. She's at, on the dating scene. She's been divorced three or four times. Meets this man called John, and he's a total con artist. And so it is about that, and it is fascinating. So it's a real story. It's based on yeah, it's a real story. Yeah. Um, and so because obviously I've listened to the podcast, watching the TV show, it's interesting to watch um, or see people or actors spouting lines that you've heard real life people say on yeah, a podcast, wow. which is pretty interesting. Um, so it's I, not like a documentary. It's no, like no, a dramatization. No, it's, it's, it's got Connie Britton in it and Eric Banner. Mm. Um, he's very good at being creepy, which is great. It's also got Juno Temple in, in it, who I love. And I, she's always in like bits and pieces here and there. Mm. Um, but she's great. She's a, a British actress and she's just fucking cool. Anyway, um, I actually preferred the podcast just okay. because... The main character played by Connie Britton, um, she's really hard to grasp, I guess. She's just she's just a nice person. She's just a really lovely, very naive person. Sure. And it's sometimes hard to understand her reasoning about certain things. Um, so, yeah. A little... Is this a Bella Swan problem where they're just such a, like, a nothing as to be not interesting? or Not, is it... not so much that because her – there is a reason for her being so nice. Okay. Um, there's actually a lot of trauma within her family that has caused her to kind of have that worldview. So there's an interesting element there. Mm. But while all these terrible things are happening, it's hard because she, she yeah, she is blank faced for a lot of it, um, or vaguely concerned. But we, it's really hard to get inside her mind. Sure. I guess. Um, whereas I think when you're listening to the podcast and you're hearing this woman kind of talk about this thing that happened to her, um, and you hear the interviewer ask her questions directly and stuff, it's, I feel like you get a little bit more of a sense of who she is. Well, it probably helps to have someone who's like pulling that out exactly. of her. Exactly. Yeah. That's totally what it is. Sure. Um, cause she is such a passive person and that's part of the problem. Though I suppose that's like, if you're drama, you know doing a dramatization of this story, you should be able to put that in the story. Like that's on the onus of you, the scriptwriter and the director and the and the yeah, performer. I, to- I think maybe because it was such a big popular podcast, they really did follow it very closely. Okay. And so I think a lot of those scenes that I think would naturally come up if it was a little bit more fictionalized, 
um, and where you know some important discussions would happen between characters of being like, sure. why are you doing this or why are you allowing these types of things? And really talking about why um, her past trauma is not only harming herself but her family, um, those conversations would be coming up. But because that never happened... It's not, not taking that sort of artistic liberty. No, no, it's not. Cool. No, it's, but um, yeah, if you've got, got some time, I would recommend it. But if you do have that time, I would actually re- recommend the podcast. Cool. So, yeah, definitely listen to that first because I think it's, yeah, a much better version of the story. Awesome. Anything else? Uh, do you want to talk about Captain Marvel? Yeah, why not? What'd yes. You, we saw Captain Marvel we the other night. We did see Captain Marvel. Yes, last night, in fact. Last night? Night before. Night before. Night before. Tuesday night. Uh, oh, no, I, I let them know when we record. <laughs> Behind the curtain. Yes, we saw it uh, the other night. and <laughs> Smooth. Uh, thank you. I loved it. I really I want to go see it again. Yeah, you do. That's I, quite it. I gladly a bought my um, special edition popcorn tin and Yeah, cup, you did. And you I, were all over that. I was very happy with them. They're sitting on my kitchen bench currently. I think they're fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed myself. And I think this film kind of is like another era in Marvel in which clearly they they just have no interest in holding anyone's hand anymore. Sure. Like this film is like, because obviously we're used to origin stories and stuff and DC has continued to do them. And I think there is like a lot of people that probably still want that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of us having viewed now, I don't know, 75 million mm-hmm. superhero films, it's really nice to take that next step into yeah. just being pushed into a new world, new character. If you're in the, watching this film, like you have to suspend disbelief. We're not going to, yeah, take you through that step by step why it's logical that any of this is happening as in like, oh, yes, this is the reason, this is the whole world and this is why this... It was like, well, yeah, superheroes and magic powers. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right, no worries about that. Um, At yeah. this point, if you're following with Marvel, you just understand that anything, yeah. you know, we've got a, a reality-bending wizard, we've yeah. got a guy that can shrink down to whatever size, <laughs> yeah. we've got, like, there's so many and different crazy shit going on, space things. reasons and, given, yeah. but we don't need, like, the behind-the-scenes of, like, oh... It's either is- science or magic or a mixture of both. <laughs> Go with it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Brie Larson was really good. I remember the f- the first little bit of the film, I was thinking, oh, it's very action heavy mm. and I don't really, I'm not getting a grasp of who this character is. I was a little concerned at that stage. By the end of the film, I was not worried at all. I was fully invested in the character and the people around her. Um, it takes, a, it's deliberately taking an unconventional approach yes. where it, like it's mm-hmm. kind of rushing to get to um, a certain point. Um, which mm. when she arrives at a certain place. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It might feel a little bit... It feels a little bit discombobulating in the moment. But once it sort of has this thing happen mm. and then it resettles in this new place, like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. We just yeah. had to establish a few things. We understand there's a bit of a mystery going on here. Now we can just sort of go mm-hmm. through it the rest of the way. It's it's perfectly fine. Yeah, And I love the chemistry between Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson. Like, it's excellent. It's- Really good. Um, and I know the de-aging bothered you in the beginning, but then you got used to it. It didn't bother me at all. Mainly, I want to say it was like 85% of the way there where the de-aging, it didn't work as nearly as well on Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson. No, it didn't, yeah. Spoilers, Agent Coulson's in this as well. Anyway, uh, the st- yeah stuff with Samuel Jackson in broad daylight, some of the first shots are mm. just like daylight. 
and it's like Plastic Man. All I'm seeing is Plastic Man here. Like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't say that. Did at really, all. and like it's on a, we were at Vmax. It was like on a giant screen. Mm. I'm just looking at it going. I can just see all. This I think they call floors. it extreme screen. Extreme screen. Mm. Sorry, yeah, we were at Hoyts. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, and then the as the movie went on, I think partly I just switched my brain yeah. off. Like I stopped looking for it, which is always part of it. It's like I know it's de aging makeup, mm. so I'm looking to test it in yeah. my in, in my brain. And also, in different, more complex lighting conditions, it was always way more convincing. Mm. It was quite it was quite interesting how good it was. Yeah. I mean, there were certain, like, CG things that were happening that I was a bit, oh, that's not great. Um, it's an ambitious movie for its budget. It's not, it's like, yeah. it's a mid-tier, mm. like, budget Marvel film. It's like an Ant-Man, 150 million-ish. Mm. Like, it, considering some of the stuff they're doing in this, you might think it should be more around 200, 250 million dollars. Production budget. So, yeah, some areas are stretched a little thin. Yeah, but some CGI it cat stuff. I mean, yeah, I love that, all that stuff. My Yeah, the, some of the CG stuff with Brie Larson made me go, oh, I don't know. Um, but it didn't take me out of it no. completely. It was still really enjoyable. A um, couple of interesting song choices that made me go, oh, that's a no. I think no. you're doing there, but... It's a little on the nose. Yeah, and not only that, it was just like the... It didn't fit. The, it was ti- the, wrong the timing song for the was same. off. Yeah. I was like, I get the message behind the song, but like, still, it's important that it's adding to the scene, um, which I didn't think it really did very much. Um, but no, I loved it. I recommend people go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I just want to laugh and laugh and laugh in the face of everyone who went and saw a leader instead. You fucking losers! Well, no, I think I don't want to say anything bad about a leader. No, you know what I mean. I'm talking delib- about those people. The dickheads who are all like, Brie Larson hates men, she doesn't want us to watch it. <laughs> Do the leader bad little challenge. Against uh, what, motherfuckers? She doesn't need you to watch well, it. We're made $455 million <laughs> at its opening weekend worldwide, six... Best opening to a film ever? Yeah, something like that. Losers. Um, uh, where would you rate this? There's been 21 Marvel films. Where do you think this fits? Like, give me just a vague sort of, like, positioning. That is a ridiculous question. It's not a ridiculous question. I have the official... I have my, like, complete ranking right here. Why didn't right you here. give me time to... I can give you... I can give you... Okay. After Off Topic Hot Topic, I'm going to give you the app that I use to do it. Uh, in fact, I'm going to do, yeah, do, do it right now. Second break for the episode. <laughs> All right, so Damask has done her <laughs> definitive MCU ranking list. Mm. So, yeah. where does, among the 21 films, where does Captain Marvel rank for you? Number three. Number three? Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. What are the two above it? Uh, number two yeah. is Captain America Civil War. Yep. Number one is Infinity War. Okay, fair I enough. I like when everyone's together. Yep, fair enough. Uh, what are yours? Uh, but do you want my whole list? Or? Oh, no. So, where's Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel is 12th, which okay. middle of the pack, it sounds yeah. bad. That's right. But I want to suggest that the top mm, 14, 15, 16, 16 films are all pretty good films. Mm-hmm. Um, I put it sort of on the same level as Captain America, the first Avenger. It's between Doctor Strange Captain America, the first Avenger. Black Panther's a bit above it. Yeah, that's about where it fits for me. Okay. What, what's your top three? Number one is Guardians of the Galaxy. I mm-hmm. fucking love that movie. Number two is Infinity War. And number three is Captain America, Civil War. Mm. Mm-hmm. W- what are your bottom three? Um, so, 19, Iron Man 2. 20, Iron Man 3. 21, The Incredible Hulk. Interesting. Because I just... I, uh, 
don't really care for Iron Man all that much. Mine was very similar. Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, and The Incredible Hulk was last. Mm. Okay, cool. We'll leave a link to that little quiz um, in the <laughs> show really notes. Like so, we can do it. It is fun. And what's good about it is now when the next movie comes out, I don't have to do this quiz anymore. I just slot it in there somewhere. Oh, like, yes. it just add to this list. now. Because mm-hmm. I'll look at it and go, yeah, that feels about right. That was really loud. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I just took a photo of my results because I know I'm going to forget it. Very good. Uh, anything else for off topic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I should say. Mm. Yeah, I like Captain Marvel too. Um, <laughs> not third best in the MCU, mm. but it was, um, yeah, it was very good. And I'm looking forward to in, uh, Endgame in a big, big way. Oh, I'm 40 so days away. For it. 40 days. So soon. Yes. 40 ish days. Uh, I just got a couple of things I want to quickly talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Leaving Neverland. This is the two part documentary on the victims of Michael Jackson's child sex abuse, Mm -hmm. which straight up, heavy, heavy, heavy documentary watching. Mm -hmm. Um, Tried to watch this with my housemates, including my girlfriend. She watched part one and was like, I'm out. I'm not watching any more of this. Really? Yeah. It was just... Too much. It's just a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot, I think, for good reason. Well, it depends. It depends what you can tolerate, I think, because they talk explicitly... Like, very plainly, but mm. they are not mixing words and they talk about what happened. Like, they, it's very clinical language, mm-hmm. but they talk about exactly what sort of sexual abuse occurred. That's hard, yeah. It's also interesting, and something I really like about this in the end, is that it's really centered on the victims. So, mm-hmm. while Michael Jackson is obviously an important figure in this, there's a point early on in the second half where we get to Michael's death. And we basically just stop seeing footage of Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's all about, it's mainly interviews with two of his victims talking about what that was like for them when he died, sort of the complex emotions there, then how the re- sort of the rest of their adult lives went and sort of coming to the terms with what happened, with themselves, with their loved ones, with their children, with all this sort of stuff going forward. And it's... I really appreciate that that was its mission. It didn't try and like mm. explain why was Michael Jackson a sex abuser or you know child sex abuser or any of this sort of mm. stuff. It was just centered on the reality of it mm-hmm. and it was pretty enlightening and harrowing stuff, um, but important, I think. Yeah. Um, so, it comes with like a recommendation with an asterisk, mm-hmm. like worth watching and uh, yeah, I'm, with this and plus in Australia, we've had... Cardinal George Pell convicted of child molestation as well mm-hmm. recently. There's a lot of this going around, but it needs to be brought to the light. So, an important documentary that's worth your time if you can handle it. On a much lighter note... Yes, please. I also watched... I've watched a little bit of Pen15. Have you watched any of Pen15? I really want to. Everyone keeps telling me to watch it. I'm very excited. I've only watched a little bit. Brother was watching it. I sort of was in the room and started watching an episode. Mm-hmm. And I've watched one episode fully. I was about to go to bed and then this episode started. I was like... I think I need to watch this. Um, and it's basically just an episode because if you don't know, 15, Pen15 15 is about these 13-year-old high schoolers um, from the 90s played by women in their 30s, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny in its own way. Um, but there's an episode, it's very 90s nostalgia. Love it. And there's an episode that starts with just these two girls setting up their AOL screen names, basically. <laughs> and then... Doing what 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 we used MSN chat MSN Messenger MSN Messenger, mm-hmm. but that's it's essentially that yeah, and it's basically an episode <laughs> about that. And I was like, "Yep, 
This feels very familiar and relatable. <sighs> And I love what this show's doing. I was very I love by so that. much that now that we're old, we're old people, <laughs> that all like the nostalgia stuff is really Well, Captain Marvel. Yeah, it's all about our time. Like we are the baby boomers. I kinda hate it though. We are looking back. I like I think Pen fifteen, that one works <sighs> for me. The some of the nostalgia that was being thrown at me in Captain Marvel, like some of the song choices, which were a little bit on the nose and yeah. felt a little bit gratuitous. I mean, I was really only bummed about one choice. Um, but I, I enjoyed the blockbuster moment. The blockbuster moment was fine. That was quite nice. Some of the stuff with like the the you know telephones and stuff like mm-hmm. that was good. The pages stuff, not that was much of a pager. Was there a fax machine joke in there at one stage? I can't remember. I can't remember. Well, pages weren't very big in Australia. No, that didn't really happen, did no. it? We sort of just skipped that. We just jumped to mobile phones, mobile phones, or cell phones, as our US friends say, incorrectly. I only have one more thing for off topic, hot topic. You said you would not start listening to David Tent does a podcast until a particular person came on. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Yes, I am ninety nine percent sure that his next guest is Catherine Tate because he finishes. What am I meant to do with that information? He finishes every episode mm. with just a little sound bite from the next person. Doesn't say explicitly who it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds an awful lot like Catherine Tate though. Mm-hmm. Fuck you! Well, so I think great. you might finally be in, which is good because you need to catch up on. Uh, the stuff uh, with Livy Coleman and Jerry Weaker and stuff as well. I'm only going to be listening to the Catherine Tate episode. No, I'm saying that's your entry. Oh, but then gotcha. you can go back and do the other I stuff. I won't be doing that, but sure. You've got to listen to the Olivia Coleman. I don't got to do anything. It's so good. I'm sure it's great. Oh, why would you not? <laughs> I don't understand a mask. Because at this point, you want it too badly and wow. I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> you know what? I was wrong. Catherine Tate is not at all. Mm. Uh, it's not happening. Don't go looking for it. You know it's what you should have done then? What? Is say... Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha. No, you should have been you. like, well, I won't watch The Dragon Prince until <laughs> you listen to it and then I would have done well, it. But you didn't do that. Now I am going to do no, that. I'm not going to watch The Dragon no, Prince until you've listened to You can't be Collinson. cunning with my cunning. You can't <laughs> well, do it. That's just even more that's cunning, stealing. isn't it? How cunning is it that I can turn your cunning against yourself, huh? No, you wouldn't do that. Well, you're depriving yourself because Dragon Prince so is one of the you. best TV shows so in a billion years. I don't think I am. And anyway. you're not going to listen to an interview between David Tennant and Oscar award-winning Olivia Coleman. Yeah. I've got a lot to do. I think we should just stop. The podcast is over <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I think this is... We cannot get past this. Okay. This might be the best. That's fine. <laughs> get your life back. If you want to die on this hill, <laughs> go for it, buddy. <laughs> Let's get to our spoiler-free review of The Legend of Korra Season 3. Let me clue you in. Season in review. In The Legend of Korra Book 3 Change, things are, well, changing as shadows of the past return to rock the Avatar's world. The main voice talent returns once again, joined by newcomers Henry, Henry Rollins, Grey Delise, voice of Azula from uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, mm. Alison Stoner, and Anne Heche as Su Yin. Season 3 consists of 13 episodes, each coming in at around 22 minutes. It took us approximately 4 hours and 45 minutes to watch. So... Before we get into our uh, spoiler-free review, remind everybody what you thought of season one and season two of Korra. Season one, I liked it. Season two, I liked it. Okay. What about you, Brad? <laughs> uh, season one, I liked a lot. Season two is is good. I don't hate it. It's got some real high highs. It is the weakest season of Avatar or Korra mm. combined. Totes my goats, It's yeah. like, yeah, it's just the weakest season of anything they've produced there. Four out of five for season one, 3.5 out of five for season two. Nice. So, Damask, mm. can you please give us your spoiler-free review 
of The Legend of Korra Season 3. You know what, Brian? I can. Um, so <laughs> but I'm not gonna. <laughs> not until you watch The Dragon Prince. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, all right. This is a great season of television. This show continues to use its masterfully drawn and choreographed action scenes to inform character. Relationships change, fracture, mend with every single one of them. This show knows action and how to use it. This season, we venture to new places and meet some new characters, most of which are a fantastic addition, creating added depth to those we are already familiar with. This season is contained, it is focused, and we're able to see just how much our heroes have grown. From hormonal love-crazed teenagers to well-balanced, well, most of the time, intelligent and insightful leaders of their communities. One thing that I love that my favourite shows do is mix up pairings. We usually see this person with that person, but great shows allow their characters to stretch out and bond with those we haven't seen them bond with before. It adds colour and cements these people as real, as moving through the world and genuinely engaging with what is happening around them. This show does that this season and I am so happy about it. The villain brings a new perspective and philosophy, something that this universe does so well. So far, this is the best season of Korra in my mind from what we've reviewed before. There is a comfortability and rhythm that neither the first or second season had. This season flows and it was a pleasure to watch. Very nice. Broderico. Uh, I'm going to agree with a lot of what you just said. After a strong start but a rocky season two, this is where The Legend of Korra hits its stride. For me... It all comes together this season. As always, production design is as strong as ever. Jeremy Zuckerman's score hits new highs, especially with the main villain theme of this season, which, while a little overused, is some of his best, most moody work in Avatar and Korra. Studio Mia are back to do all 13 episodes this season, meaning animation, from those quiet emotional scenes to intense action scenes, uh, is rock solid throughout. On the topic of animation, the action this time around is some of the best in the franchise. Not only are set pieces as imaginative as ever, there is some great never-before-seen bending ideas in this season. They are fantastically choreographed. Many of the set pieces are intense, wonderfully paced, and leave you on the edge of your seat as you feel the weight of each blow and the danger that our heroes are in. The background artists also get to flex their muscles this season because Korra is globetrotting. Much of the show thus far has spent was has been spent in Republic City, which is a great setting, but it's nice to have our heroes explore more of the Avatar world mm. and catching up on how the other nations have and locations um, have changed in the uh, since the end of the Hundred Year War. This variety in locations isn't just refreshing, it's also more exciting, giving the season a more adventurous tone than previous. Uh, one of the complaints of last season, I had of last season, is that some characters were given very little to do or even disappeared completely at times. Season 3 manages to balance the core cast much better, giving everyone at least something to do, and some of the more underserved characters... Great time, lots of time to shine. Uh, also, unlike last season, is the pacing. The plot has excellent momentum, beginning with a bang, dropping in some exciting mysteries, and building steadily to three pulse-raising final episodes. The big part of the success of the plot are the villains. While some villains have been successfully menacing, none have been particularly compelling as characters. While it might be debatable how compelling this season's villains are, they are at least entertaining, with clear beliefs and a... Um, believable connection to each other. This is a big step up for me. And with these new villains and world developments comes new challenges for Korra. Previously, her trials have been about her own worth and how much being the Avatar informs her identity. 
This season goes a step further and challenges the existence of the role of the Avatar at all, challenging not just her identity, but her overall worth, which feels like a natural and compelling progression for her character. It's also worth noting that while already sprinkled with some dark themes and moments, this season steps it up to a whole new level with some utterly brutal moments that have to be actively obscured because they would not they'd be way too gruesome to be allowed on Nickelodeon. I have a hard time finding fault with Korra Season 3. The creators seem to have worked on the previous season's weaknesses and have every element working seamlessly this time around. The only question I have is if this is better than the best season of Avatar The Last Airbender. On one hand, I think it might be the most consistent season ever, with all 13 episodes being winners and no real duds, but maybe not quite reaching the emotional heights that Avatar manages Mm. at its best, but it's not far off. This is The Legend of Korra at its best and I love it. Hmm. What would you give this season out of five stars, Damask? I'm going to give it a 4.5. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty great season. I'm I'm struggling to think of huge flaws or things that detracted from what the show was doing overall. Um, yeah, just satisfying really on all fronts. But uh, not perfect, but pretty darn close. What Ooh, about you? I'll be interested to know what wasn't perfect about it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it five out of five. I fucking loved it. No, I really... I I knew before going to watch it the second time that it was my favourite. And I wasn't... Because I only watched it once. It wasn't super clear. I I knew there were certain things, how much I liked Mm. the villains, how much I loved certain sequences. But watching it again, just the build-up, the momentum, all of the stuff Mm. it was trying to do to get me engaged worked a second time. And by the end of the last episode, I was just like, fuck, this is a great season. This is just a great season of Mm. television, an excellent season of Korra. I love it. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're now entering... The spoiler zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one, two, and three of The Legend of Korra. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. It's hard living in a post-herbronic confluence world. 
Spirits are free to roam the physical world and everyone in Republic City is pretty grumpy about it. But it comes with some cool new perks. Boomy discovers, while frolicking with Boomjoo, that he is now an airbender. That's right, a bunch of new airbenders crop up. Tenzin is pretty psyched about this news. He's seriously lacking in friends and he might be able to make some new pals. By the time President Raiko kicks Corey out of the city for not owning a strong enough weed killer, Tenzin is ready to head out and find his new BFFs. Korra, Team Avatar and the rest of the crew are soaring off to create a new air nation. They just have to find them first. Meanwhile, a super bad dude named Zaheer breaks out of Arkham Asylum with his new airbending abilities. Then he breaks out his henchmen from equally elaborate prisons. I wonder what they're up to. Our heroes arrive in Ba Sing Se. The queen there is a total Joffrey. She hates animals and is also kidnapping airbenders. Not cool, man. Lin turns up to the city to tell everyone about this season's villain. They all band together and free the airbenders and run away from the Shrieking Queen. Oh, and some kid called Kai joins them. Then they all head to Zaofu. It's a super sick metal-bending city. You'd think Lin would be psyched to be there, but she has the same attitude I had at 14 when I was forced to hang out with my family. Oh, that's why. Turns out the city's leader, Sue, is Lin's sister. And they are a couple of sassy sisters. Turns out Sue was a rebel and Lin was a straight-laced rookie. Sue got in with the wrong crowd, committed a crime, and then was arrested by Lin. Only for their mum, Toph, to intervene, cover up the crime and let Sue leave the city. Gosh, family is hard. The gals fight it out and then realise that they love each other. Cute. No one can bask in the love of family for too long, though. Zaheer and his band of unmerry men slash women infiltrate the city and try to kidnap Korra. They do pretty well, but everyone else uses their skills and are able to stop them just in time. Yay for teamwork! Turns out that one of Sue's advisors was a traitor. Korra and Team Avatar pursue him. They find him snoozing and entering the spirit world, so Korra follows. Zaheer quickly punts Iway's head into a fog and then starts a casual conversation with the Avatar about a cool new club called the Red Lotus. They tried to kidnap her as a kid but failed and ended up in prison. This club is all about anarchy, listening to the Sex Pistols and killing world leaders. The whole combo is a stalling tactic though. Zaheer's little yellow minions are sneaking up. They overpower Marco and Berlin. Asami manages to escape with Korra's body because she is perfect and they should kiss. But only until Korra wakes up because consent is important. But before any of that can happen, Asami and Korra are captured by Earth Kingdom soldiers and forced back towards Ba Sing Se. Though before that can happen, the ladies break free. Korra is a little overzealous and causes the plane to crash. Whoopsie. So now they're stuck in the desert. That is until Asami uses her big, beautiful brain to build a sand glider. And Korra uses her big, beautiful muscles to get them out of there. Zaheer and co go to Ba Sing Se and kill the queen. Chaos breaks out. Everyone heads to the Misty Palms Oasis Resort and Spa for some refreshing daiquiris and to also plan on how to save the world from chaos. Zaheer's calf muscles are sore from chasing Korra, so he decides to attack the Air Nation in order to get Korra to surrender herself. There's a huge epic battle in which Bolin finds out he's a lava bender. Cool. Korra gives herself up. Zaheer is a dirty dog, though, and still keeps a bunch of the airbenders captive. Korra is chain, chain, chained above a whole lot of lava. They give her a nice charcoal face mask that poisons her and brings out the Avatar state. Their plan is to kill her once she's all glowy-eyed to end the line of avatars. 
Cora breaks free because she is full on hulking out. She attacks her here and they have a Dragon Ball Z fight amongst the mountains. It looks like all is lost except for when all the new airbenders combine to create a tornado and brings her here to the ground. He laughs maniacally though because Cora is on the verge of death. No worries though, Sue walks up and metal bends out the poison. Cora is weakened, but fine. Two weeks later, we see Cora and Asami making out. Wait, no, I wish. But Asami is brushing her hair, and that is some serious queer girl foreplay. You dirty dog, Asami. They head to Janora's tattoo ceremony. Poor Cora looks like she had a few too many MD caps the night before. Everyone thanks her for her service, and Tenzin, alongside all the new airbenders, promise to help protect the world while she recovers. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. So this season starts with a bit of a bang. The mm-hmm. airbenders are back, baby. They are back. People around the globe are spontaneously getting Combusting. airbender powers. No, that would be if they were firebenders. Okay. They are getting uh, airbender powers. Boomy being one of them mm-hmm. and just random peeps all over the world. I'm so happy for Boomy. That, I, I'm, I, you know, it's funny you say that. I'm sort of happy for Boomy, but I also feel like part of his identity was the fact that he was the non-airbender in that group. He, well, he found his own worth. The yeah. non-bender in that group mm. and sort of maybe had to create his own identity different ways. And that was, so to just make him a bender seems like you're discounting the things that made him Boomy in a way. I, I mean, I don't think it's discounting. I think it's probably like, well, who are you now? And the one defining sure. thing changes. Sure. Um, but I think more importantly, the thing for me is I get fucking emotional watching Tens and think about what Aang would have thought about yeah. this. Like, we have watched, at this point, five seasons mm. of this television show. Like, like uh, nearly 100 episodes, something like that at this point. And the, the, the whole idea was that there were no more airbenders. There was just a couple that were still around trying to rebuild that civilization. And so to have it suddenly get this gigantic mm. sort of push back into reality, yeah. it's fucking, it's yeah, just so no, exciting. Even, even when you like, you know, you go back and you think about Aang when he returns to the, the Southern Air, Air Temple. Temple yeah. And it's, you know, everyone there is gone and dead. And it's so horrific and heartbreaking mm-hmm. and then to like you know fl- where you have the opportunity to flash forward into the future and because of what the next avatar did um there's yeah they're all back they're, well there's the not, air nation is back the air nation is back it can mm. rebuild it's not just trying to like hold on to a relic it's yeah. like they can create their they're own ex- culture you know, on the again. verge of extinction yeah mm. that's it's very very cool thing to happen mm-hmm. and could have been like hand wavy, like end of season. Oh, the air, the um, air nation's back, but to sort of like build this season all around like the consequences of Korra's actions in opening up, leaving the spirit portals open, mm-hmm. and that that has allowed sort of balance to to happen again, which means some airbenders are returning. But with that comes a lot of pros and some cons, and mm-hmm. like it's a very cool idea. Yeah, I love all that. And then the other bits I love are like watching, seeing things that we often like uh, from episode to episode, season to season of Avatar and Korra, you're seeing new bending stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing we've never, ever, ever been able to see really mm. much of it all is like the Air Nation strong. 
working yeah. together. Well, yeah, I think that's the cool thing is that we, yeah, like you said, it's not a hand wavy moment. So like throughout the season, we see how hard it is for one Tenzin to kind of guide mm-hmm. this air nation that has no appreciation or knowledge of its history. Mm-hmm. And so to slowly like realize how much or how important they are to one another um, and, you know, learn their history, learn their, their skills to come to that moment where we see them strong working together is oh. really satisfying. There's a bit in episode like five or something like that when they're escaping the Earth Queen and all mm. the other airbenders have been sort of released from that prison under, underground. Yeah. And they're all working together mm-hmm. to sort of work on delay. And I lit like I've watched this before. I watched it again. I was like, "This is fucking emotional, man!" Like they like we can, we. This was never something we could have ever seen beforehand, mm. and just sort of see it happening, the reality of that, and what it must mean to Tenzin, and then then taking them to the Northern Air Temple. Ah, oh, fucking love it. Gets me every time. I mean, I had jump head, but it's like when the air temple is like melting. Oh, and totally. I, I was like, fuck that. It's such a shame. Devastating. Was, yeah. It felt really awful. And then even at the end where they're all sort of, it's it just, it's sort of like a redo of that other version. So it doesn't hit me as hard, but when they're doing like the big tornado mm-hmm. and like helping Cora out. Yeah. And then I'm just going to skip right to the end though. <laughs> the fucking, the bit that will always kill me and the music. Oh man. It's one of the best tracks that Jeremy Zuckerman's ever released. But that end bit, there's this incredible mix of like, um, happiness because the air nation is back mm-hmm. and melancholy because of where Cora's at. Mm. But when Janora is getting her tattoos and she looks so much like Aang. Yeah, I love when like we <sighs> see like she's hooded at that moment and we slowly see her raise her head with like the tattoo. It's such a big, big moment. Yeah, like you said, because she does look so much like Aang. Yeah. And because behind her, uh, you know, her her nation are yeah. behind her and then next to her is her dad who has, you know, taught her everything she knows. It's a fucking beautiful moment. It is beautiful. The score in that moment is amazing. And mm. then to get ahead, because we're moving up the air temple bit here, airbenders bit here, but then to cut to Cora and just finish on this broken Cora at her lowest mm. moment ever. Yeah. And that's the way the season ends, just like bang, credits. It's like, fuck, I love that ending so much. And it's I a think great season, yeah. It is a great season. And I think one of the things I was going to bring up as well is I really think this season benefits from knowing it was getting another season, mm-hmm. right? So, this so far we've had season one was meant to be a one-off miniseries. Season two, oh, we've got a second season. Let's do another story. Season three and four were ordered at the same time. Yeah. So, they got to build this knowing they didn't have to just finish at a definitive endpoint leave it hanging, building into the next season. And it's it benefits really benefits from that, from that so much. So much from it's, not having to tie it up in a bow by leaving a few threads dangling. And I think that's the thing, like, that's one of the problems with, like, obviously it's a kid's TV show, so you can't leave it. If you think you're just getting one season, like one season at a time, you can't leave it with so much ambiguity and nuance that might be upsetting to children. And yep. so oftentimes they've had to, like, resolve these really big and complex things in a really neat kind of neat way that sometimes for adult viewers is unsatisfying um, and simplistic. Um, Whereas this one, we have the opportunity where we don't have to do that. And so we're sitting in the, um, well, the triumph, but also the pain of, you know, sacrifice. And that's kind of a really interesting place to leave it. It makes you keen for the next season. 
So where is that character going to go? Character going to go? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what did you want to talk about, Damask? I was very happy for this season because we left Republic City and I was ready to go. Yeah. I think we've spent enough time in Republic City, well and truly. And so I loved once I was like, yes, okay, we're leaving. And then as we were traveling around, you know, this band of heroes mm-hmm. going around, I was like, oh, hello, this reminds me of... Avatar. Avatar, <laughs> which, was, which was nice. And I think the creators know how to tell a story like that, a journey, a quest like that. Um, they do it so well. The world is so rich. It se- seems a shame to not explore it. Um, as much as we possibly can. And so when they do that, it's like, oh, this is what I love, all the complexities of the different civilizations, of the different people. Um, And now, you know, particularly in this season when we're talking about leadership and different types of leadership, I think it's important to leave the city. And so, yeah, it was just, it was a good course for this season, I think, to do that. And I'm very, very grateful that they did. Because I, I certainly think, especially when it was just a miniseries, the idea of setting season one in Republic City, mm. this whole new type of Oh, it worked world. great in season one. Yeah. Because we hadn't seen anything like that in that exactly. world before. Yeah. yeah. But once you open this world up and mm. you make it bigger, and we did spend some time in the Southern and Northern Water Tribes in season two, but mm. still it was basically Republic City and the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit world's not going to be changed too much, do you know, by the events that have taken place since Avatar. Um, the Southern War Tribe didn't seem like it changed that much either, really. Mm. It was very mm. familiar. Mm-hmm. So, to... Yeah, it was all that thing, always that thing of, what about the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. So, to go to the Earth Kingdom and mm. go back to Ba Sing Se and see what's happened since then. Yeah, I think in like because in Avatar, and I know we talk about Avatar a lot, but that's just part of the game. Well, you, you have to. Um, it's like the world always seems so big. Yes. And in Korra, it just has not felt big Absolutely, at all. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you had to ask those questions about what was the rest of the world doing. Mm. Um, so, I love traveling to Ba Sing Se, finding out that a lot hasn't changed. No. But that's interesting in its own way. That class mm. system is still the mm-hmm. same. They still have a monarchy. With a and it, different yeah. type of terrible leader to the, <laughs> and it makes sense that a city like that wouldn't evolve over mm-hmm. time because if you have such a strict class system, there's literally divided by walls, making it impossible for impoverished people to better their own lives. It makes sense that in however long it's been since we were there last, that things simply haven't changed because they can't. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Very the technology has definitely improved a bit. The tram cars are different mm. to what they were like in season one. Mm. The uh, in Avatar, I should say the, the you can see they have like aerials or like lot, there's like power lines and stuff. Mm. That is imp- that is yeah. improved. But the class, the class systems, systems and structures are still there. Ideal, yeah. uh, exactly the same. And then even things like the Dai Li are still there, mm-hmm. which seems crazy <laughs> because they were so fucking evil in yeah. Avatar: Last Airbender and. To just see that that's still there and they go back to Lake mm. Lao Guy and like that's been flooded over, but the mm. same sorts of bullshit's happening. Yeah. Um, mm. that well, it's interesting, like, obviously, like the Dai Li are, you know, seen as evil or whatever, but obviously people in power see that as, yeah, as a tool that can be used for their own benefit. And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. I do love that the Earth Queen hated Bosco, the bear, the just, just well, bear. She ate him. And apparently ate him. Which is. Horrific. <laughs> Poor Bosco. That's so sad. That. That's so sad. Where else do we go back to that we've been to before? We go to the Northern Air Temple, which 
Uh, we were we did go to in season one. We went to all the air temples in season mm-hmm. one, um, but hasn't changed. Well, the, I think from memory in Avatar, that's the one that started to be modernized a little bit. It's where the mm-hmm. people with the flying cars and mm-hmm. stuff were. So it was pretty much just an air temple that was open yeah. and being used. And then we also go to uh, the the Misty Palms Oasis, yes, which is do. where they found Doctor Professor Zhang mm-hmm. before they went to the library in season yeah. one. And then we also go to, which is a new place, Zafu. We do. Very exciting city to visit. I love Zafu. As soon as we arrived, I was so excited to see it. It's like a metal bending city. That's so fucking cool. And the characters were excited to be there as well. Yeah. Like, oh my God, this amazing, huge, like, well, not a huge, but like statue of Toph and stuff. Mm-hmm. I love that Toph is Bolin's hero because yeah. she's my hero. Yeah. And I totally understand what he's gone about mm. yeah no he's obsessed with her and it, it makes sense like someone who revolutionized something that feels so intrinsic to you mm-hmm. of course you would have an affinity towards them and then like like yeah i i wonder if he fangirls every day just knowing that he's hanging out with Toph's sister and yeah. now sis, oh, sorry daughter, daughter and now daughters yeah where he's just like oh my god i can't believe my life he's dating a granddaughter oh, i hope that's not one of the reasons he's dating her. I do love um, the idea that that Toph has uh, one of her grandchildren as an airbender. It's so <laughs> untoff as to be perfect. Uh, yeah. I mean, apart from Zhao Fu just being an exciting place because it's this metal bending city, it's this very, like, artsy, liberal city as well. You know, everyone's past lives are forgiven sort mm. of to better themselves that people are allowed to make new sports or make new so- technology. Varric is there with Julie. Thank goodness we get a bit of Varric this season. Bit of Varric. Mm-hmm. I love Varric. Uh, you know, make art, dance, whatever it might be. Um, be a prick like the <laughs> the truth seer guy does. Yeah, I can't remember his name now. But I yeah. don't care about his name. He doesn't deserve a name. That's a, cr- that's a creepy thing to do. Why would you want him hanging around? It is... Like, it was a power that Toph had in the first season. So, the idea that sort of elaborated upon makes sense. But yeah, but she wasn't a creep about it. Like, that's his, that's his entire life. He's been like, you're lying to listen, me. Listen, he's got a sweet referential program going with the local acupuncturist. Like, <laughs> I wonder if he's getting kickbacks there. That's pretty... He's got a sweet deal going <laughs> that there. That is true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> but then, of course, we have... So, one of the things that frustrated me so much about season two is I love Lynn. Mm. In season one, she's a great character. Um, doesn't get a heap to do, but is important. Nice great little flavour to the city. Definitely. Yeah. And then season two... She either goes missing or is a dumbass. She's such a terrible detective slash police woman. Chief. Yeah. And so, to get her re-injected into this story and give her, like, two episodes mm. to just... I mean, yeah. No, I, I love Lynn. Do I need a flashback episode about her early years? No, I definitely don't. I didn't need it. Didn't really care for it. I didn't need it. But I, I'm glad I got it. Like mm. I, I like Lynn Didn't as a character so much, yeah. and I like Su Yin. I like the relationship. I like the complexities of their relationship with their mum a lot because mm. they both have parts of their mum in them. Mm-hmm. Su Yin really went down the the stubborn rebel, road. Rebel, yeah. Sorry, yeah, re- yeah. Sorry, yeah. Su Yin went down the rebel, rebel, um, and Lynn went down the stubborn, gruff, gruff part, <laughs> and they sort of split in half in that aspect. Mm. I also love just as a little detail. I love that they have different dads. They Yeah, that's awesome. That's such a tough thing. She never married, but she had two daughters to different men. Mm-hmm. In my head, Suyin is absolutely suckers. 
Yeah. Saka is definitely Suyin's dad in my mind. What makes you say that? There, she's got some of his um, spunk and like improvisation. Literally. And yeah, yeah. No, well, no. Toff did. Oh yeah, and then she <laughs> absorbed it and became. I suppose. A half, a half I suppose spunk. in that sense, <laughs> sure. And she's got a darker skin tone than Lynn, suggesting that it would be like a water tribe, maybe potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think that the clue for me is. Both Saka and Suyin have taken out combustion benders because they're both the ones that do it. And I was like, like, like father, like daughter. I think. Okay. <laughs> That's my headcount. I just, I there's, there's this idea. It's just a little like sprinkled in an avatar that Toph was into Saka. Right. I like the idea that maybe Saka and Suki, mm-hmm. who I love, mm-hmm. didn't work out forever because fuck knows your child. They were like fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, your teen crushes. It's weird that Katara and Aang stayed together as long as they did. Mm. Uh, I really don't feel like Suki and Saka stayed together. Oh, I think she years. outgrew him very quickly. Right. Yeah. And then had a bit of a fling with Toph. Sure. She got pregnant, had a baby. She said, I actually don't want you around as the father. Ouch. Yeah. I love that idea. Okay. I think it's that'd be such a Toph thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it would be. I'm I'm not opposed to the idea. I just never thought of it before. Okay. I love it. I think it's. I have no idea who Lin's dad is, but I'm way into the Suyin one. Anyway, uh, yeah. So you did. That didn't work for you though. You didn't love the Suyin Lin stuff. No, I don't. I just like love Lin as a character. I don't. Sure. And I'm happy to like, you know, talk about her, you know, complex relationship with her mom and her sister and stuff. Did I need that amount of flashbacks or that amount of detail? Probably not. Sure. Mm. Uh, what other stuff did you want to talk about? What about characters? Anyone in particular that stood out for you this season? I mean, the obvious one is the villains. Mm-hmm. I'm a really big fan of the Red Lotus. I'm not. I think it's a cool idea, and I like the idea of um, Cora's, you know, opposition this season is someone who, you know, wants to destroy leadership, and that's mm-hmm. what Cora has trained her entire life to be is a leader and what type of leader is a good one and that's what she's always struggled with, how to do that. And, you know, we see her truly become herself as a leader just as this opposing force comes in, which is, I, yeah, I think it's a great villain to have this season. And they bring up really interesting ideas because we are exposed to the Queen and Ba Sing Se yeah. and... And also President Raiko. President Raiko, who's, who's a, a dickhead. Dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, we ourselves as viewers have seen, you know, the reasons behind why someone would have that opinion yeah. um, and be very passionate about that even when, yeah, when we are in Ba Sing Se and the boys go down to the lower ring and, you know... Hang out with their family. Hang out with their family who have nothing and people are really struggling there and... Who no- were living in the same place that Zuko and Iroh lived when they were in the lower ring as well. What do you mean the same place? The same, like, housing. It's like there's a, there's a shot that's of, like, their mm. little, like, commission flat sort of area. Yeah. That I think in Avatar is, like, in the dark but almost identical. Oh, And this is, like, you see during the light. It's, like, the same place but, like, 70 years later. Oh, intriguing, yeah. I that was interesting, intriguing. Too. Anyway, sorry, a little detail. Yeah, no. So, I... I love that they allowed us to see that, allowed us to see that argument kind mm-hmm. of living out loud, living itself um, so we can absorb that so that when, you know, we are confronted with these ideas that, you know, that chaos is the natural state, that, mm-hmm. you know, these leaders are corrupt and should 
have no right to rule over people, which in a lot of ways is very valid. And the other (laughs) token we have, Cora, who is a leader who is trying to do her best and that she, while doesn't agree with everything, understands that, you know, certain rules are in place for reasons and that chaos is a negative force. And I also love that at the end of it, we have a, a different hypothesis. Well, he thinks when everything is down, chaos rules supreme. What we see is that when everything is down, we see this group of people actively working together. Sure. Which I really enjoyed, yeah. The, yeah, that's interesting because I suppose if we look at Cora as the leader, she is reduced sort of to a lesser mm-hmm. version of herself and then the Air Nation rise up and say, well, we'll take over, yeah. which is a beautiful message. It's like great to see the yeah. Air Nation flourishing and stepping into that role. Yeah. It's fucking devastating for Cora, who I can't think she would like anything less than to be the victim. Like to be to be replaced, mm. to be made unimportant or mm. like have her significance reduced is like the worst thing that could happen to her. There's I mean, this has been an ongoing thing for her about her identity has been her powers as the avatar. But then there's so many times this season where she's doubting it's like, am I able to do this? And then people are telling her, well, you shouldn't even be doing this. And then just a stripper of that entirely. Fuck, man. It's not like, it's one thing to be sick. It's another thing to just be like, you're not even needed anymore. Mm. Like, I, I love that where they've gotten her to at this point. So theoretically, they can she can build herself back up again mm-hmm. in the next season. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's the perfect place to put someone like that. Yeah. Because at, at, every, at every moment, she's kind of like, yeah, her idea of herself is always being challenged. And so she'll recover from one idea being changed and she'll evolve. And, and this is just another version of that, of being like, well, now I'm helpless. Yeah. I'm in a chair. I'm physically helpless. Fuck, what, what does it mean? One, just for like me being in such a state of vulnerability. And two, how can I lead if I'm not coming, leading from a place of physical strength? So, what's great is this is sort of doing what we wished had happened at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, we were left mm-hmm. with Cora who didn't have most of her bending and it kind of gets taken away from her very quickly. Yeah. What's the line that Aang says to her? When we're at our lowest point, are we capable of the greatest change? Sure, let's say that. Yeah. I think that's almost it. Mm. I think that's it. And then we're back there again. Mm-hmm. The, the writers realized that was a great idea and we undid it too quickly. Silly, silly. Well- they thought that's all they had, mm. right? But this is so much more compelling. We get her back to a point where she's diminished. She's going to have to go through change now. Mm-hmm. Um, this season, this is called Change, this book yeah. as well. So, we're leading into that idea. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, yeah, it's a great place for someone who punches their way through every problem. And while, mm-hmm. she, while we see this season that she has learnt to be a problem solver and, like, when there are challenges between people she's able to get in there and give really good advice and help resolve it which is conflict resolution it's what i do that's right which is great <laughs> because she was never good at that before she would no. she refused to listen um which is very frustrating to watch she refused to listen refused to absorb anyone else's opinions um and would often just fan the flames with her own ego uh but now so we got to see her 
evolve in that way, which is great. But still, obviously, it's, you know, a huge reliance on her is her physicality. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, that's the next step in evolution for her. Uh, what about the other characters around her? I want to like, it was a good season for Tenzin, but mm-hmm. I didn't, mainly just because of the reality of being the leader of this new air nation is an interesting challenge for him and a proud moment. Um, I'm going to come back to Tenzin in side notes, actually. There's one little thing I want to run by you there. Mm-hmm. Who else we've got? Sami spends way more time mm. doing things this season, just on Much camera. Much better utilised this season, I mean, one, one thing we also talked about that we didn't like about last season was they kind of split Team Avatar up a bit too much. Mm-hmm. This, they get to stay together for the most part. They do do their own little bits here and there, but they always feel like they're on the same trajectory. They're on the same goal, at least. So, even when they're separated, we don't feel like they're... Yeah, they're sort of like off doing their own things, not sidetracked. Yeah, it's nice when the characters are aware of each other. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, it does feel like we're moving towards a common goal, a common place instead of feeling so scattered like we did last season. Definitely. And then it's just a more focused season, really. It's like, absolutely. As a whole, it's like we're trying to rebuild the Air Nation and Korra is being attacked by these unknown forces. Let's Mm -hmm. try and deal with that. And like, that's the season. Mm -hmm. It's so much better for being focused like that. It can tell interesting stories along the way. Like, I know you didn't love it, but I like the stuff with Zhao Fu and Lin and Su Yin. But I like, like the stuff with Zhao Fu. I'm just like, yeah. It's probably like one of my least favorite parts sure. of it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Asami's given great moments with Korra, which is great, which they've not had a lot of. There's Friendship. Been- Friendship. Which was so important. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Well, there's bits early on, even in season one, in episode one of this season, they have this great conversation about the Marco of it all, <laughs> like the elephant in the room. Yeah. And and it's fine. It they could just... have been so easy to make that mm-hmm. a drama. And instead they go, yeah, I knew about that. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And they just like laugh about the silliness of it all. Yes. Another example of how they've grown, yep. which is great. And they've m- matured. And it's just, yeah. So that to start off the season that way, I was like, oh, thank goodness. We're going to have some female friendship. It's not going to be a stupid love triangle thing. Marco's off being awkward and weird, but at least these girls. Well, I would suggest that there are still there is still some Makora stuff going on here. They they I think there's plenty of times where it looks like that Marco and Cora didn't gonna think find that their way for a second. There's there's moments, especially towards the end. I didn't see it. Didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> there's stuff there. There's stuff there. They're not. Marco is obviously still very very attached to Cora. Yeah, no, I understand that. I don't think, for me, when I see that, I don't see romantic elements there at all. I see people that have come through a relationship and just genuinely care about each other and love each other. No, I think I think that's true of Cora. I think the uh. difference is that Marco is still very into Cora still, but he is trying to grow past that. Mm. Like, as much as his feelings for Cora are definitely there, that's why he didn't want to go on that trip, it's why... He has a few moments like that with her. Um, it is, I think it's his. Oh, his, I thought he didn't want to go because he felt shame for being a total dickhead. I mean, there might be an element of that too, but it's also he doesn't want to be around her because it's awkward to be around her because they're not together anymore. Like, yeah, and his other ex girlfriend is there. And his <laughs> other ex girlfriend is there too. It's a very awkward situation, and yeah. they're right that he needs, he should be there though. Mar- Marco is an important enough member of the, and I think proves himself a few times this season to be very important, um, mm. at least on the as a grunt, if nothing else. Even as a detective, he does some good stuff this season. Um, but his sort of thing is, yeah, it's that fight between he knows he needs to move on from Cora, but he also 
is a, her friend, and that's a complicated position for him yeah, to be in. Yeah, I think about Marco so little. I really... Oh, I, I think he's almost <laughs> the least interesting character. Yeah. Especially of those four, he's by far the least interesting character mm. to me. But I think there's not... It's not without stuff. Like, I was... I anyway, tried to miss- talking about Cora and uh, Asami sorry. again, because who gives a fuck about Marco's feelings? Marco, go on. Um, yeah, no, I just want to cement that, like, when it started, I was like, oh, it's not going to be that annoying triangle, because yes. I didn't want that. And it was really going to be like, well, these two girls are friends, mm-hmm. and we can watch that. And it was... So much fun to watch it throughout the season. Did I want them to smooch the whole time? Of course I did. Did I want a gratuitous scissoring scene? <laughs> of course I did, Brad. Of course I did. But if I just have to settle for female friendship, then that's fine. And that is what I will do. But I remember when we first watched this, season three, and just I remember like talking to you over and over again, just being like, God, I just want them to scissor. I just want them to kiss <laughs> all the time. And that frustration for me is still there. Years later, watching it again, I'm like, oh, just smooch each other. But female friendship is good enough. The And they, they get some great stuff together. The bits you mentioned in your story time with Damask, when they're on that airship and they are like brains and brawn working together, mm-hmm. they just make a mm-hmm. great little team, a team in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I just think Asami in general is a fucking badass. She's I, so cool. She, for someone who doesn't have bending... The, she can totally hold her own in combat. She does amazing things tech-wise. She's a great pilot, a great driver, all that good stuff. Fucking love Asami. I'm so in love with <laughs> And so, it was just nice to feel like she was meant mm. to be there all the time. Last season, it felt like she was just get, get pushed away at a moment's notice. This time, she felt like an integral part of Team Avatar. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. As well as being a friend to Korra. And I was like, thank you for making Asami, giving Asami time yeah. this season. That's I really what was that. frustrating about season two is that she was or felt so superfluous. Yes. But I felt like they were telling me that she wasn't. I was like, well, make her... Vital they didn't, they didn't know what to do with her. Exactly. I was like, it was just. They found a, something to do with her this thank time. Thank goodness. Yeah, which they desperately needed to do. Which I love about this season. I think everyone's got something to do. Bolin, yeah, his stuff isn't as big as it was last season, but like his struggle to metal bend, which he then finds out is because he's actually a natural lava bender, which mm-hmm. is fucking rad lava bending, by the way. It's cool. Yeah. Like a new concept, well, almost a new concept. There was a little bit of lava bending in season one of Avatar. From Avatar Roku, uh, mm-hmm. but that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> the that just that idea, and it's sort of his struggle with metal bending is the same problem he has when he's trying to court Opal. He's trying too hard to be something he's not. Yeah, and I, he has to I, learn to be himself. Mm, I love the relationship that he has with Opal because so often he tries to do the bravado, masculine type. I kind of like that stuff too. There's yeah, a little like, wink he does in the last episode. He's like. Yeah, that's no, a, like that's, that's that's the bit of me on the spectrum that's a little bit gay right there. <laughs> that is that is pretty hot. Sure. No, but like yes, I like that he is cheeky and has that kind of thing. It's only when he's doing it because he doesn't want to be vulnerable yeah. that, you know, he shouldn't be doing that. And so to watch that play out with Opal, I think is really sweet because he has always been like, I'm a mover star and I'm a big well, tough yeah, dude. Oh, and even women, as a pro bender, I guess as well. Yeah. yeah with, with women, he's always done that. So to see him with Opal, not do that or do it a little bit. And then she's just like calling him out on his shit. And he's like, oh, I can just have a conversation with you, which is really nice. I thought that was a really sweet story and way more interesting to me than him lava bending. Oh, you're being, I like the lava bending too, though. It's cool. It's totally cool. <laughs> Uh, I also just a little bowling moment that I love. Mm. I love when Korra is being taken by the Red Lotus in Zhao Fu mm-hmm. and Pabu wakes him up. 
And he's like, what's going on? And he looks outside and he sees her and the utter panic. Just like, just, Cora, Cora's been, like, and just like, he, he knows he's just, everyone needs to be alert at that point. Yeah. I was just like, just feel that. Bolin, Bond's cool guy. And it felt like even just the animation of that moment when he like looks outside and kind of like sees it but doesn't see it, you know, yeah. when you're actually asleep and then you see him like it enters his brain of like what he's actually seen. The animation is so good this season. Oh, the animation is redonk. Redonk. Uh, Marco, okay, just oh, quickly. We're back here again. Okay. He's a good detective. They give him something to do there. Learning to be Cora's friend and ally. That's as I actually wrote that note. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of plays that big brother role with Kai, which is like, I I like, I always like seeing Bolin and Marco as a team. Yeah. No, that, that's when they're most interesting is when they're working together. I love those two when they work together. Mm. I love any time they're bending together. They have some fucking great bending moments this oh, season as so well. so cool. Yeah. The, like, obviously Bolin lava bending is great. I love his last moment when he's fighting Ming Wah, mm-hmm. where like the awesome armless water lady. Yeah, and and then they go into that pit and it's full of fucking water. And you're I like, was like, no, he is fucked. I, would, I, I was like, he's di- he's going to die here. Yeah. And then he jumps up and then like lightning, elect- lightning bending. And I was just like, that is rad. It's also cool because <laughs> so I totally forgot that he, he doesn't use it that, that often. N- hardly ever. Yeah. I think I've only seen him do it once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fucking cool. It is <laughs> so yeah, cool. It was so awesome. Because yeah, he drops down. And I'm like, Oh fuck, man! Oh fuck! And she's so scary already. She let alone terrifying. when she's in a room full of water, and she's now got a billion arms. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and then he just like jumps up and electrocutes her. I'm like, good thinking, my bro. And good thinking. Beautifully animated. It's like mm. really dark. And, oh, it's so well lit. That scene. Well, yeah, the lighting is incredible. Love all that. Mm. And also, did you feel much for the whole bowling, uh, Marco? Because that's the other theme this this season has, right? It's all about. Family, mm-hmm. right? We've we had a bit of family stuff last season, but mainly it was just that. Oh, my dad's good, and my uncle's shit. His uncle, her uncle's Classic. still shit. Mm. Though we do get some explanation as to he like he was a Red Lotus member who like sold those guys out and then went on to do the Dark Avatar thing. Anyway, mm. um, the so we've got family stuff happening with Tenzin, obviously with the Airbenders. That sense of family there. We've got. Family happening with Marco and Bolin when they go back to the Earth Kingdom. Lin and Sue. We've got family with Lin and Sue. Mm-hmm. We've even got family, I would argue, with the Red Lotus. Like, these are... Chosen family, you mean? The chosen family, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. But that is their family. Mm-hmm. They have a connection. There's even a romantic connection between a few of them. Which uh, is in every family, right? Well, it is when the mum and the papa are together. Oh, brother. What? No. <laughs> you don't, families aren't just siblings. <laughs> um, but there's this, yeah, there's lots of like, yeah, family themes in there. Reconnecting with your lost family, dysfunctional families, finding a family in, after losing your own. Yeah, I know it's a big part of this season. But did you did you feel the, the Marco um, Bolin stuff much or? But what are you saying about them? Well, I just mean in general, like I... The did theme I of families there. Did you recognize care that they much? were brothers? Yes, I did. <laughs> did you? I mean, did you when they uh, reconnect with their extended family? I yeah, no, I really enjoyed when they were in Basing Say and yep. they run into their family and you know reconnect or connect for the first time with their grandmother. I thought that was really beautiful. I found that very touching. The fact that this woman, you know, obviously the technology has advanced, but not so much that you could keep really in contact with someone, but that, you know, her son went off to a strange city 
to find opportunity and she never saw him again. Um, that thought of that was heartbreaking mm-hmm. and then the fact that she found out that he had died and that her grandchildren were left alone. The whole thing, I, I mean, that was very upsetting. Um, so, yeah, that those moments really worked for me quite well. I love that the grandmother is a massive, like, royal fan as mm-hmm. well. She's a monarchist, Monarchist yeah. for sure. Aren't all of our grandmas they in are. Australia? Well, they're just like, they've all got, like, teaspoons with the Queen's face Absolutely. on it and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, the other family, I guess, we were going to talk about was the Red Lotus. Mm-hmm. But let's just talk about Zaheer and the Red Lotus for a second. Let's talk... I want to talk about them as just... Well, let's talk about their goals, as you've already talked about a little bit. This idea of like challenging the status quo, um, chaos, getting rid of world leaders and stuff. Mm-hmm. As you said, very compelling idea. Mm. Um, sort of in the same vein as like Thanos or um, Michael B. Jordan's character in the Black Pan- in Black Panther. You can see where they're coming from. Kill they Munger? have a point. Killmonger, thank you. Yep. That's all, that's you should really remember that name. It's almost like what's uh, David Tant's character's name in? Uh, Oh, Kilgrave. Kilgrave. It's like they're of the same. What's the stupid name? It's like Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. I hate that name. I don't like. I don't like those names. They're terrible. I don't like. I don't like Steppenwolf. I don't like Killmonger. You don't like Kilgrave. I don't really like Kilgrave. I just love Kilgrave because he's such a fucking terrifying villain. Um, but yeah, yeah, those names don't really do it for but me. But Killmonger anyway. and Thanos are like characters who <clears throat> you understand their worldview. You mm-hmm. understand why. They believe what they believe. And I like that about the Red Lotus. There is something to what they're saying. There, There is this weird imbalance with world leaders and then what the Avatar represents mm. as well. Um, and then I just love that... I love that they are fun to be around, mm-hmm. the Red Lotus. Like... The party. Kind of. Like, A... I they- mean, it's just cool to experience all their awesome, like, techniques and stuff. They all have awesome techniques. Mm. Waterbending is... Armless water bending lady is great. Mm-hmm. Like she's not doing anything super original, but she's just fucking intimidating as fuck. Yeah. That bit where she's fighting, um, Papa. No, uh, uh, Tenzin's sister. Oh yeah. And um, Kaya, and she's gone off the edge, and like the water just drains, and then she <laughs> comes up, and she's just all tentacles, and you're like, fuck, that's so important. She's Right, I love Mingwa. I would then- have peed myself and given her more ammunition. Oh my god! <laughs> totally, so scary. Gazan as a lava bender, very cool idea there. Uh, then we've got combustion ben- bender and plea, plea, and yeah, plea. and she a return to an idea from Avatar: Last Airbender mm-hmm. as well. She's very cool. And then Zahia, who for the first, well, apart from the like astral projection stuff from last season, is the first real. A uh, specialist airbending technique. We've had specialist waterbending, earthbending, mm-hmm. firebending. Never really had specialist airbending. Mm. So the idea of being able to fly kind of works. I I like that, and I like the the cost that comes with it as well. Well, yeah, that's the interesting part of it, isn't yeah. it? Because obviously, you know, we have people who can lava bend and all of that kind of thing. Whereas, and I suppose it makes sense with what airbending is, which mm-hmm. is really truly a. Sp- more of a spiritual practice and mm-hmm. so therefore to get to the next level unlike something like lava bending which is it feels like more of a physicality yep. and so like that's how you get there um whereas yeah with airbending once you leave behind all earthly connections that is when you're able to fly so really people so 
you know, Cora's never going to get there unless something truly terrible happens next season and she just detaches completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that it does have – well, it depends. Like, is if that's the philosophy, is that a cost? For some, it may not be. Well, I just like the idea as well. We've seen uh, bad firebenders. We've seen bad earthbenders. We've seen bad waterbenders. What we haven't seen up to this point, well, I've seen barely any earthbenders, <laughs> uh, airbenders, but the idea that there is a potentially negative, corrupted version of airbending is really interesting too. Mm. No one, no part of this world is beyond going too far. And mm. so, which I love that yeah. like even airbending is included in that. And so, seeing, because this is, um, again, a road that we've seen Aang get close to and step away from mm-hmm. deliberately. He was told to disconnect from Katara. Yeah. This is that whole thing in season two with him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm mm-hmm. not going to step away from my earthly connections because I love Katara. And that's really important to me. And so, avatars have deliberately not gone down this path, which is considered enlightenment. Mm. And this guy has, and what ha- how, what does he have to do to get there, and what does that mean when he gets there? Mm. It's fascinating to consider. It I is, love it. Yeah, it is fascinating, and I think like yes, that is absolutely like, the bad version mm-hmm. of that. Is that in order to disconnect? Um, it's kind of like for him, it's more of like sociopathic type yes. situation, where as opposed to I think what would have been like the core of it, which would have been enlightenment, which totally. would have been to get to a higher plane. Um, so I think. There's also like what I find interesting is while that is part of the spiritual practice of what it is to be an airbender or an air nomad, what Tenzin has now, the different direction that he has now taken, the air nation, is that we are going to absolutely attach ourselves to the world. In fact, we are so going to be so invested. We're going to put our lives out there to protect it, which is amazing. It is. Mm. I love that idea too. I love that. The other thing about the NH coming back is they do continue to be nomads, though. Mm-hmm. They are going to yeah. be kind of homeless and just roam the world, but trying to basically do what the Avatar does. Yeah. Very cool idea. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff in this season to consider. Again, I think the one of the biggest weaknesses of the show is that because it's 13, 22-minute episodes, there's a lot of big ideas that feel like you could go further and flesh mm-hmm. these out a bit more. And so, some of it just has to be do it in your head. Think about this, mm-hmm. you know, apply this later. Which um, I think it's like, it's also always been a fun part of Avatar is how much you can infer into it, how much you can read into it and how much you can add to it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like one of the great things about creating such a big world. We can do that. But also like, you know, putting out there so many ideas and philosophies um, whether it be about politics or religion or whatever, and just like giving you like a little sample, one that is, you know, really intriguing for adults, but also like kind of educational and mind expanding for kids as well. Like this show gives you so much to play with. Yeah, there's yeah. such philosophical stuff. It's kind of like, maybe not the same, but like The Matrix was for a lot of people, including myself, sort of like an entryway into philosophy, into mm-hmm. that sort of philosophical, philosophical thought. And there is a lot to consider throughout Avatar and Korra. If you want to think about it a bit more, there's plenty to, to dive yeah. into there. And, you know, as you get older, the more like there's going to be different things that you can appreciate and have a deeper understanding of, which is really cool. Um, also, just want to say, uh, well, uh, yeah, just to reiterate, I love that I just like all the characters of the Red Lights. Like, I enjoy being around mm, them. It's yeah. so much more interesting than this elusive Aman, who is a great imposing figure, but we never really get to know him very much. And also, 
Um, Unalak was a terrible character. Just, just there's nothing well, interesting or I nuanced don't like about a him. Villain that whenever they're on screen, that I'm just annoyed by them because they, I just don't like them. Mustache twirling is yeah, never fun, it's yeah, right? it's not interesting to me. I'm like, oh, you're a fucking dickhead. Like, I at least like I can dislike someone and still be fascinated by them. I don't want to be like totally put off by them that I just yeah. wish they weren't there. Yeah, so it's nice to enjoy because you spend a lot of time with the Red Lotus, not interacting with Cora directly. Mm-hmm. And I don't love uh, Zahir's voice actor, mm-hmm. um, but but overall, I like those characters. I like they have a sense of humor. I like they have a connection. I like it's fun to be around them. Mm-hmm. But before we move on, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into side notes? No, it's all good. I just want to quickly talk about some of the action and stuff this season. Because yep. there is some fucking amazing stuff this season. Absolutely, there is. The- and I don't give a shit about that stuff, but... Yeah, it was beautiful to watch. Go on. The I love the ambush on Zafu when they try to capture ten try to capture mm-hmm. Cora. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. like moment of like they're at a standoff where they're like stuck on this island surrounded by lava and then everyone's like, What the fuck do we do with these people? And just there's a there's a real sense of like that's pace, right? It's like go, 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 things have to slow down, stop. Go again, and like, there's a real push and pull, and the stakes are high. And it's like such a command like, of tension, yes, which is great. Exactly yeah. right, and it goes for like half the episode. Mm-hmm. The second half of the episode is like investigation into how they got in. The first like ten minutes is this cool action sequence. It's really well choreographed and thought out. I love it. Everyone's interesting and useful in that scene yeah. too. And we're playing with stuff that we, you know, not haven't really spent a whole lot of time with, which mm-hmm. is lava and stuff, and like lots then, of metal bending. Yeah, and then how all of these things interact with mm-hmm. one another, and like. The ingenuity of uh, of all the players this season is so much fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. Then um, we have a few other fights with the Red Lotus, but particularly when we get to the third last episode when they ambush the Northern Air Temple. Mm. And it's Kaya and Boomy and Tenzin versus the Red Lotus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing I... Like, a, we've never seen Airbender versus Airbender. That's a hundred percent new. That's never happened before on this show. I love watching Tenzin fight. Whenever he fights, I'm so excited. I love watching Tenzin fight too. I love that it was already a little bit of a stretch that Zahir was just naturally good at Airbending, <laughs> right? But let's—he's been interested in Airbending culture for a long time. He's That's obviously what I a martial artist. It was like years meditating and thinking about spirituality and stuff, which is a huge part of Airbending. I just forgot as well. All of the escape sequences that happen yeah. for the four airbenders as well, for the four Red Lotus members as well, is so cool because mm-hmm. there's those unique prisons they have and stuff like that. They're I felt like I was watching an episode of Ocean's Eleven. It's cool. Every time. I was like, ooh. It's just really well considered. Mm. Um, but yeah, when he's fighting Tenzin, he's a, he, like, uh, Zaheer is good, but he was never going to beat Tenzin. No. It's obvious that he was always going to lose that fight. Tenzin had him beat from the beginning. I love they never pretend otherwise. Mm-hmm. It totally makes sense that Kai and Boomy are going to lose their fights, though. Kai holds her own pretty well. She's a great waterbender. Mm-hmm. But I love that she figures it out that he's here. I love that, and then too. They, and they fight. That's cool. a great fight. She's awesome. She's mm-hmm. got the ring of water around her. She's like yeah. sp- flinging the ice. She's a badass. She's I love a it. badass, and I love it. Badass hippie. Yeah. <laughs> um, hippie auntie, yeah. Mm. Canonically gay as well. Um, oh, yeah. Mm, it's cool. Uh, later in the comics. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Does, not important to the plot. <laughs> not really a spoiler. It's fine. No, she doesn't save the world next season by eating pussy. <laughs> so that would be great. <laughs> um, and then 
and yeah, it's not until those two, like Mingwa and Gazan come that Tenzin loses. I have an opinion. Mm. I have a thought. I love the way that ends, where they're beating the fuck out of Tenzin. And he's like, it's not over as long as I'm still breathing. And then they are beating the shit out of him and the camera pans away. I thought he was dead the first time. I thought he was dead. And to this day, I think he should have died. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think Tenzin should have died. And it would have been fucking tragic and awful. Mm -hmm. And that ending with um, Janora getting her... Her tattoos wouldn't have been the same. In fact, you would have to have had it happen earlier. It would have had to have been in like the episode previous. One of the like, like maybe that episode where it spent all at Air- Northern Air Temple. That would have been the place to have that end with Janora getting her. And so would have mi- you would have missed that ending that we got. So I'm not saying it's a perfect no, idea. I, no, I think like if you did have that ending have and, a you, and, you, funeral and you see Janora has oh. taken her father's place and, you know, she's she has gone from being a young girl into an, an adult and unfortunately it's through fire of like losing her father and stuff, yeah. I have an idea. Ooh. What if at the end of that Northern Air Temple episode she gets her tattoos but we don't see them right away because they've got to be covered for a while, mm-hmm. like because of the process of doing it. Yeah. And so through the rest of the season she's got them covered. Mm. Tenzin dies. The last episode ends with Tenzin's funeral. It's a very similar sort of ceremony. We get to see her oh with the taste for the first time. Mm. So there's this bit of like joy. There's something like nice about that. Yep. And then we're also dealing with like an airbender funeral mm-hmm. and Cora's at a lowest point. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it was too much. Maybe that's what they wanted to do. And they were just like, that's too sad for this Nickelodeon show. Would have been great, though. Fuck, that would have been amazing. Really, really I mean, trying to figure out how to make that work forever, and I, I think that would have been the answer. Because mm-hmm. then you like get to it. see with the... Ta- oh, man. Yeah. Fuck, that would have been an incredible ending. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, that scene's ama- that fight's amazing. Then the next fight, the next episode, we've got that ridiculously cool fight on the... Like, when they've got Cora, Cora's got her arms and her mm. hands tied up, and she's still fighting along with um, her dad. And then... One of the most badass, fucked up moments in all of Avatar and Korra when Su Yin puts her armor around Plea's head as she's about to combust and blows her fucking head off. And they cannot show it. They can't even make the explosion so sound. Cool. But you know what the fuck happened. Because it At is. At first, when like, she did it and then it like, cuts away, I was like, what happened? And then I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> it's so she gruesome. blew her own fucking head off. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucked up mm. and so cool. And you just see Zaheer look over and like, oh, shit. I can fly. But yeah, that was a big moment. It's fucking cool, though. I, what a way to get I her. I would love if they ever release like an M-rated version. I don't need blood or anything like that. No. I just want to see. I, it, does, it doesn't even need to be anything more than just see the explosion. I don't need to see a headless yeah. body or anything like that. Just follow through with the sound of the explosion because mm-hmm. that is so fucking yeah. epic. Also brutal. The Earth Queen being suffocated to death. <laughs> I that's why I'm I love these villains because they're actually like villainous and like following through with the you know their plan and like it's not entirely focused on Korra. While no. yes, that is like the main plan is to get her and to like you know do what they end up doing. But also along the way, they are doing other things. They're not entirely focused on her. It's, it's a bigger world view mm. than just uh, the single character of Korra. I kind of wish they got President Raiko though. Why couldn't they get him too? He's a prick. Mm. He deserved to die. 
Well, maybe not, but. I wonder if they like because he's like a democratically elected leader. They talked about it oh, when yeah. they were in Republic City. They oh, had to leave right. quickly because they were discovered. Oh, that's right. They were, and they said, yeah. "We'll worry about him later." Basically, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, no, he is a dick. And then finally, we have the epic Dragon Ball Z battle, which is not my favorite sort of fight ever, um, but I do love this like primal Korra. I, yeah, I think that's what I love is like just seeing her fucking smash into everything mm-hmm. and just like the and Zahira is, is just trying you know trying to like survive for as long as he can be like I'm out of here I'm out of here um, which is great but yeah just like and her muscles are fucking rippling the chain around the chain. Her arm. she's like Rah! it's it's a cool scene and a very engaging scene mm-hmm. to watch um, or sequence of events to watch like I was fully in it and I like was worried about her it's so weird to see someone who's so like imposing mm-hmm. And to be worried about them in those moments. Mm. Um, just sort of another creepy moment as well. When they think they found the uh, airbenders in the Northern Air Temple and really it's just ming has been oh. holding up the robes of the water and they like melt away. It's like... So gross. She's so fucking creepy. <laughs> Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. A couple of quick side notes I failed to mention um, during the rest of this. John Hedder, as in Napoleon Dynamite, voices Ryu in episode two. He's like the guy, the mother who's really keen to get him out of the house. He like lives uh, in the basement. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. Uh, Zuko returns in this season as well. He we get Zuko. Does. Yep. It's uh, it's like it's Uneventful. cool. <laughs> it's he doesn't do a whole lot. He has that one fight when they're releasing um, Plea from mm. the Southern Water Tribe prison, um, or the Northern Water Tribe prison. But I did love. There's a bit where they're going down the elevator and they're talking about her being a combustion bender. He's like, I I hired a guy with a similar power to kill the Avatar. Didn't work. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> and they're all looking at him like sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they do do a little bit to explain Janora's, what she does at the end of season two. She that A, that her projection powers are not as powerful as they were during Harmonic Convergence. They were particularly strong at that point. Lots of spirit energy. Um that she found Korra because of their spiritual projection, spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. That's about as far as it goes. That's all you're going to get. <laughs> that's, as, that's as far as the explanation goes. Mm. Janora had those powers, were more powerful during Hamama, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Take it or leave it. Uh, least favorite and favorite episodes. What's your least favorite episode, Damascus? Least favorite is episode six, Old Wounds, for the reasons we discussed earlier. I just didn't need a flashback episode about Lynn's past, I guess. Cool. What about you? My least favorite episode is episode seven, Original Airbenders, which is a perfectly good episode. Uh, I have nothing against it. It's just because we're away from Team Avatar and we're not really seeing anything with the Red Lotus as well, it's just sort of this filler episode where yes we get to spend time with tens and the airbenders totally worthy of an episode eh, just the least cons- the, the least memorable episode for mm-hmm. me though now if it ended the way i wanted to end orig- like that we debated or uh, hypothesized before might have been my favorite anyway favorite episode i'm gonna go i mean i want to say the last three but yep. since i'm not allowed to do that um i'm gonna go with it's so hard to choose. Uh, episode 11, The Ultimatum. Mm-hmm. I love the battle at the Air Temple. So um, you know, every moment I'm worrying that Tenzin is going to die. It's such a tense episode. 
because we know how dangerous the villains are. Mm-hmm. We've certainly seen that. And we also know how vulnerable the airbenders are and how important it is to keep them alive, to keep that intact. Yeah. Um, and how much it means to Tenzin and his family and, you know, the gang. And so, yeah, it was just a really tense episode with a lot of emotional stakes to it. I've got to... Maybe I'm reading this wrong. I think they're naive or I don't think that Zaheer would ever actually kill all the airbenders. Right? No, I don't think so either. So I don't think that was the plan. But no. I'm worried that there were going to be casualties sure, in, sure, sure. in his mission. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things they talk about. Zaheer is going to wipe out the airbenders. Like, ah. Uh, no. Like, and maybe they, they, they're just not calling his bluff. But I never really thought that was a reality. No, I'm it's, just, it's, not, yeah. it's not his goal. They're not. Yeah. leaders, he might have killed Tenzin, he would never mm. kill everybody else yeah. though. Yeah, but think. I think like in the nature of chaos, if, you know, something Possibly. happened, happens, then it'd be like, oh, whatever. For the sake ha- of the rest of the happen. world or whatever, yeah. yeah. Theoretically, there are still airbenders out there that just haven't become the air nation yet. Yeah. I suppose that's true. Uh, my favourite episode, I'm going to say, even though I said uh, like the Dragon Ball Z fight wasn't my favourite, episode 13, mm-hmm. Venom is, is the Venom of the Red Lotus. Um there's just so much great stuff. The stakes are so high. This plan to end the Avatar line, that really primal Korra that we're seeing. All the characters are getting something to do in there. They're being having great fights. Bolin and Marco have these great fights going on. Tenzin. Well, actually, the adults are all sort of like um, taken out of this, but the Airbender Nation, mm. that epic finale, the Bolin wink. Um, yeah, that ending, that ending, the bittersweetness of that, Janora. I, I think that it might be my favorite episode bar one thing that happens in season four. Mm. It might be my favorite single scene in all of Korra. Wow. Okay. I love the Janora with the tattoos, that music cue, mm-hmm. the swell of emotion, and then the Cora's at her lowest point. I love it so much. Big statement. All right. Such great storytelling. That's it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at bgordes, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss The Sopranos Season 1. Finally. Ooh. I'm not excited. Why not? Because I'm so tired. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. This has been a tiring night. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but also scared. No, I'm excited because I've wanted to watch it for so long. It's about fucking time that I did. We made this podcast with the idea of catching up with the TVs we should have watched. So this has, you know, been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is a lot. I feel there's a lot of like pressure to like this show because it is so well loved, mm. which I felt with Breaking Bad as well, yeah. but just as much with Sopranos. Yeah, and the more I look back and think about Breaking Bad, the more I dislike it. Mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you had a completely different reaction to me. Mm. Uh, in the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.